Hello, hello, hello. I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is All That Matters. As we move into our 50th, next 50 episodes after we've just celebrated our first 50 episodes in our first year, um, it's just thrilling to hear from so many of you. And thank you again for going to jangoldstein.com checking out my novels and my nonfiction books and my blog and my podcast can also be found there. But I know a lot of you go to Apple or go to Spotify or Amazon Audible, wherever you find us. I hope you'll tell other people about us. Um, We're brought together and we're connected through positivity. And that's exactly what this podcast has intended. Oh, thank you so much. As we (laughs) listen to that, I get a big kick out of that. Every once in a while, I think you should have on your desk, you know, a little something, uh, whether a little applause for some idea you might play. You you might say, hey, I have an idea, or you do something creatively, and the applause rings out, and it's really your inner applause, recognizing you've done something well. And it's something Goethe said, uh, you know, it's basically not it's not enough to have an idea you must apply it and and willing is not enough goethe said you must do and it's the doing that i want to talk about it's it's the it's also the recognition that just by being alive we're going to be wounded yes that's part of the deal We are going to be lose. There's going to be loss. There's going to be a change of plans. There's going to be something that hurts either ourselves or through us, a a friend or a family member. Uh, And certainly we react to to others in the world going through uh, the experience of being wounded. And I think it's very, very important to understand that it's not the wounding that defines us. It's what we do with it. Are we able, and this was in my second book, uh, nonfiction, Harper Collins published, um, called Sacred Wounds Succeeding Because of Life's Pain. And it was ultimately about how we take the wounds in life and, and, and drain them of their poison and find the light that's inside there. And it had never occurred to me that there was light there, that there was wisdom there. And that's part of our way to clarity. And clarity is really what's needed, uh, when, particularly when life gets so muddled or we allow our wounds, whether from childhood or more recently, to take over our lives. I want to tell you about a couple who that happened to and how they were able to find their way to clarity and from clarity uh, into wonder. Rick and Sarah were inseparable from the moment they met during their freshman year at Williams College in Massachusetts. He had thought he might be going into theater, and he met her in an acting class, and they fell for each other right away. She loved that he carried around a book of poetry by E.E. Cummings, but even more so, she liked it that he read it and he was able to quote it. And he loved her not putting on makeup, not hiding behind that, as he put it, but that she was natural. And the laugh that came out of her throat was natural. It just, she'd throw her head back and laugh with abandon. 
by the time they graduated, uh, he had decided to go into law and she had decided to become a playwright. And they had decided to get married. So basically, their parents threw them a, a twofer, a graduation party and a wedding at the same time. They moved to Manhattan and he uh, went to law school at NYU. She went after an MFA and then taught in a private school uh, in Manhattan. And later in their 20s, after he was already working at a law firm in mid-Manhattan, she had begun a play, just as they were beginning to think of children, she had begun a play that would involve um, an expectant couple and the comedic angst that came with finding just the right name. But it involved all of their families and it would bring each of the family members' backgrounds out, the dreams of the husband and wife, the roller coaster ride of anticipating an event that would change all their lives. And unfortunately, what ended up changing their lives was the fact that Sarah could not get pregnant. And try as they might, uh, it was not happening. So they went in for tests, and each was tested privately, uh, separately, and it was discovered that nothing was wrong. So they tried ahead again, but uh, still no baby. Finally, the doctor said, I better do an exploratory surgery and make sure there's nothing defective in your reproductive system that he had missed. And sure enough, they found that her ovaries were full of cysts and those were removed and she was put on Clovid uh, to stimulate ovulation. And after a lot of sex that it began to feel very mechanical, um, once again, no baby, no pregnancy. And one night, Rick came home to find Sarah on the floor just crying. I'm just damaged goods. She said, you would have been better off without me. She apologized a thousand times that night to him, and he just held her in her arms, and together the two sobbed because of this unfulfilled dream and the hurt that it was bringing up. They were recommended to go to a fertility specialist and to try IUI. Um, The idea of going through life without children, they had decided was frightening, and all they could consider, of course, was the biological path that they had always dreamed of. Uh, At work, Rick had become more anxious than usual. The partners in the law firm noticed he'd been cutting back his hours, and he assured them that he could handle everything uh, and that he and Sarah expected some good news any day. When it was discovered 10 days later that the IUI hadn't worked, he called in sick, and together they took a country drive to Connecticut. But Sarah wasn't able to enjoy the scenery. She lay awake just thinking of how she had failed. And meanwhile, Rick was beginning to feel isolated. He'd been so concerned with Sarah's frame of mind, he hadn't allowed himself to feel his own sense of failure. Not until four months later, after almost two and a half years of heartache, he he was getting out of a cab in front of FAO Schwartz on 59th Street, heading for a meeting with a client when something in front of him stopped him cold. And that was a family coming out of FAO Schwartz with two little children carrying presents and laughing. 
It struck him like a bolt of lightning to the heart. He simply crossed the street, slipped into the park, found a bench, and broke down, crying his dreams into the cold afternoon air. And after five unsuccessful attempts with the IUI procedure, it was recommended they try in vitro IVF. And several months later, they implanted, there were seven viable eggs they were able to find. First they planted and three took hold. And and then the pregnancy um, was lost. She did not get pregnant with those three. But the next four, she was found to be pregnant with twins. And there was great excitement. And they told all their families. Their life seemed back on track. But a week and a half later, she woke up with cramps and miscarried. And now the two of them on the floor of the bathroom sobbed in each other's arms. Her tears seemed unstoppable. They struggled with the reality of childlessness, sought out couples counseling to deal with their grief. As the year 2000 approached, for this took place all in the 90s, as the year 2000 approached, the whole world was getting millennium fever and Rick had failed to make partner at his firm because they questioned his priorities. Finding that out, he walked out the front door, walked up to Central Park, up to Spanish Harlem, taking stock of where he was in his life. What were his priorities, he wondered. How had he lost sight of them? That night, Rick returned to the brownstone after that huge walk to find Sarah on the floor of their apartment rocking herself with sadness and the sight of what she had become, what they had become. It just shook him in their obsessive quest to create a baby. The sight of who they were at that moment filled him with a sudden clarity that rose like a cry from his soul. I can't stand this anymore, Sarah. Look at you. You weren't meant to live a life of tears and anger and depression. When I met you, your laughter was infectious and it was everywhere. We were the golden couple. Everywhere we went, we found that life made us smile. We took the joy in, but we haven't known joy for years. We've been living inside our own pain for too long and it's dark in here, Sarah, and it's cold. I want your smile back. I want your joy back. My heart breaks for everything you've gone through, but that we've gone through, but we have to take back our lives. She beat his chest with her fists in a fit of grief and rage, collapsing in tears in his arms. And as he held her, with all the love he possessed, he said, Listen to me, Sarah. We haven't wasted a moment. I wouldn't trade away any of what we've been through. What do you mean, she said, blinking up into his face. We've been miserable, yes, but we've been given the most precious gift of all. Today my law firm refused to make me a partner. They questioned my priorities, but don't you see? Everything we've experienced together has taught me that they're absolutely wrong, and so are we. My priority is you and our marriage. It's always been. I can't bear to think we won't be parents. I've dreamed of this baby as long as you have. But you know what? I'll live. I know I will. 
but I could never live without loving you. She sobbed into his chest. You see, they held each other like that for hours, and that night made love with a passion and a tenderness neither of them had felt in years. Rick and Sarah felt a different kind of creation as the dawn kissed the city the next day. It was their rebirth and the clarity of their commitment to one another. They had spoken off and on about adoption over the next year and a half, and then came the shocking blow of September 11, 2001, when the twin towers of the World Trade Center were reduced to rubble, taking thousands with them. Like many others, they were profoundly affected. They now felt a knowledge growing in them from the pain the city and the nation were suffering. Talking about dreams, even new and different ones, is just that they realized talk. This was a time for action. They could still be parents and give their love to a child, and even though it hadn't been their choice to begin with, making the choice for a family was a sacred one, for it was born of their suffering and of their wounds. Four months after the attacks in New York, Rick and Sarah returned from China where they had adopted a little girl. Now, Sarah knew what to do with her play. The characters would go through many obstacles to fulfill their quest to be a family. And they would decide on a name for their child based not on their respective ancestors, but on what was created out of the wisdom of the wounds they had shared in giving that child a home. This is why the little pillow in the crib in their apartment greeted their daughter with the message, This home belongs to hope. Rick and Sarah discovered that recognizing the wisdom of their wounds helped heal their sorrow and led them to a renewal of their love. And so it is with each and every one of us that we can find our way to renewal no matter what we've gone through because those wounds and those struggles are part of life. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said, should you shield the canyons from the windstorms, you would never see the true beauty of their carvings. Each one of us is wounded, who has been wounded, has carvings within us. And we can find the beauty in them. And we can find clarity there, for they help define us. Until next week, I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is all that matters.